Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. You often hear that there's no evidence for the exodus, ladies and gentlemen. There's certainly no evidence from Egypt about the exodus. Well, I actually think that statement is false. In fact, there is some very interesting, I might even say compelling evidence that plagues took place in Egypt about the time of the exodus and this evidence comes from outside the bible we're going to get into that today but before we do i gotta mention last week i was in louisiana and if my voice sounds a little weak it is because i lost my voice after being in louisiana and uh the great sean mcdowell filled in for me on the last podcast thank you so much to sean and scott ray for doing that uh but when i was in louisiana the day after easter I did the Unashamed podcast with Phil Robertson and Jace Robertson and Al Robertson. You know, the Duck Dynasty guys, they are just wonderful human beings, let me tell you. They, success has not ruined them at all. We went down to Louisiana, West Monroe, and then we, we drove south from there to what they call the Lair. That, that's a place out in the wilderness in Louisiana where Phil and the Robertsons live, and uh, that's where we recorded the podcast. Let me tell you, success has not ruined our friends from the Duck Dynasty legend. These people are just great, uh, good old boys who want to hunt and fish, and they do a great podcast. They do about, they record about four of them a week, and uh, so we recorded one of them down there, uh, with, of course, my my friend Zach Dasher. Zach is the nephew of Phil Robertson, and he's actually in North Carolina, but he was on the podcast as well, and I've known Zach for many years, so uh, you might want to go over and listen to it because it's just so much fun, uh, the Robertsons. They're just a blast, and uh, it's, uh, let's see, it's show uh, 667. It just dropped today, Tuesday, April 18th, and uh, it's uh, titled Phil's... <laughs> Phil's mind is blown uh, by the Big Bang Theory and Jace's clues to the beginning of the cosmos. After the first segment, I'm on and we have a great time just bantering back and forth about the creation event and the evidence behind it. So uh, take a look at that. And uh, also want to mention that uh, coming up uh, next week, uh, thankfully, I'm going to be home for about 10 days just to recover a little bit. Uh, but next week, I'm going to be up near Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly shove. All my friends in Philadelphia. Uh, forget about it. Anyway, we're going to be up there at Freedom Life Church. It's about 45 minutes, I think, outside of Philadelphia. Freedom Life Church uh, for morning services on April 30th and then evening uh, six to eight. We're going to be talking. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and take uh, your questions. Freedom Life Church, all on our website uh, at crossexamine.org. Then on May 3rd, Wednesday, we're going to be at the University of New Hampshire up in Durham, New Hampshire. 
seven to nine. And anyone up there in the Northeast who wants to come, it's open to anybody. It's also going to be live streamed. So check all that out on our website and YouTube channel. And then May 6th, I'll be with Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane for the Unshakable Conference. And that's going to be at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, one of my favorite churches in America, out there in Chino Hills, California. The next day, uh, the great Jack Hibbs and I will be doing kind of a co-sermon together. That's May 7th. So I hope to see you all out there if you're out in California, May 6th and May 7th. Now, the topic for today is evidence of the exodus from Egypt. Now, right now on our TV program, we are recording a series called Digging Up the Bible. We are going through the Bible from Genesis to maps all the way to the end of the Bible, and we're pulling out the biggest archaeological discoveries related to the Bible. Right now, just uh, last night, as a matter of fact, we recorded a program on uh, Moses and the Israelites in Egypt. It was the fifth recording we've done. This will ultimately be on our TV program, and at some point it'll be an online course, the top archaeological discoveries in the Bible. And since I'm not an archaeologist, I'm relying on people who are, people like uh, archaeologist Titus Kennedy, Dr. Titus Kennedy, who's been on this program before. And Titus was the one who actually alerted me to a papyrus called the Apure papyrus, papyrus, the Apure papyrus. It, it comes from Egypt, and uh, this papyrus is also sometimes called Admonitions of an Egyptian Sage. You can look it up. You can Google this or duck, or duck, duck, go it better off. Uh, the spelling of it is I-P-U-W-E-R. I-P-U-W-E-R, papyrus. It was discovered in the early 1800s. And uh, scholars say it comes from sometime in the second millennium B.C. There's only one copy, known copy, of the Apure uh, papyrus. It probably comes from about 1250 B.C. Now, scholars are split on when the original was written. Some say it's as early as 2000 B.C. Others, like Titus Kennedy, will say, no, it's later. Maybe it's around 1400 or so B.C. In any event, it's a chaos epic and lament for Egypt written by a poet named Epure. And it addressed the All-Lord, the main gods of, Israel, of uh, Egypt, I should say. And it describes, among many other things, what appear to be plagues in Egypt. And it really is uncanny when you read this, and you can see an entire translation of this online. When you read it, you realize how many parallels there are to the plagues in Egypt that the Exodus talks about. And what I want to do with you in this program here today is to go through some of the parallels between Exodus and the Apure papyrus. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Exodus, because we're going to go almost sequentially through Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 7, and uh, 
Here's what chapter 7 says, verse 20 of Exodus. It says, Moses struck the water of the Nile, and the wall, all the water was changed into blood. You know the story. Then in verse 24, it says, The Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Okay? Now, what does the Epipure papyrus say? Here's what the Epipure papyrus says. Quote, the river is blood, yet men drink of it, unquote. Then a little bit later, it says, one thirsts for water. That's what the papyrus says from Egypt. You know, verse 19 of Exodus 7 says, blood will be everywhere in Egypt. The Epipure papyrus says, pestilence is throughout the land. Blood is everywhere Death is not lacking. Wait, you're saying that there is a, a document that comes from Egypt that says the river is turned to blood and blood is everywhere. Pestilence is throughout the land and death is not lacking. Yes, just like Exodus says. All right, how about Exodus 9.3? It says the land of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. What does the Epipure papyrus say? It says, indeed, all animals, their hearts weep, cattle moan because of the state of the land. Wow, something happened to the cattle, according to the Epipure papyrus. Verse 24 of Exodus 9 says this. Here's the hail plague. And the hail struck down every planet of the field and broke every tree of the field. The Epipure papyrus says, Lo, trees are felled, branches are stripped. Really? Yes. But the parallels don't end there, ladies and gentlemen. Exodus 10, 15 says the locusts come up all over the land and Egypt and, I'm sorry, the locusts came up all over the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt such as a dense swarm of locusts as has never been seen before or will ever be seen again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the whole land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit and the trees and and or that the hail left not a green thing remained neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of egypt the epipure papyrus says birds find neither fruits nor herbs unquote well gee i wonder why not maybe because there were first there was first a hail plague and then a locust plague Exodus 12, 35 to 36 says, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they, the Egyptians, let, let them have what the Hebrews asked. Thus, the Hebrews plundered the Egyptians. What does the Epipure papyrus say? It talks about Gold 
silver, and bronze, and other precious metals are fastened on the necks of female slaves. It says poor men have become owners of wealth, and he who could not make sandals for himself is now a possessor of riches, unquote. This parallels exactly with what Exodus says, that the slaves now appear to have the gold and the silver and the bronze, and the poor people now have the wealth when these people couldn't, didn't even have any money to make sandals for themselves. Now they're the, professor, the possessor of riches. Why is this? Maybe because this really happened. Then Exodus 10, to 23 says, Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt these days, or for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived, unquote. Oh, let me stop right here. Notice that the plagues seem to have taken out the Egyptians, and particularly the rich Egyptians, the royalty. It didn't affect where the Israelites were living, most of them in the area of Goshen. Do you know what the Apurepirus says about Egypt? The land is without light. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is, I know if, I don't know if you've heard this before, but the plagues of Egypt were not random plagues. They were slams on the Egyptian gods. And the number one god in, in Egypt at the time was Ra, the sun god. In fact, Exodus actually says that the plagues are judgments on the Egyptian gods. And so Yahweh blots out the sun. He blots out the God of the Egyptians. The land is without light, says the Apure Papyrus. In fact, maybe here at the end of the program, I'll point out how all the plagues are slams here on the Egyptian gods. They're not random. Exodus 10, 7 says, after Pharaoh's officials came to Pharaoh because, man, Moses and Yahweh were wreaking havoc on Egypt. Pharaoh's officials came to Pharaoh and said to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? Speaking of Moses, let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not realize, Pharaoh, that Egypt is ruined? Do you know what the Apure Papyrus says? All is ruined. Indeed, that has perished which yesterday was seen, unquote. Notice the pure poet here laments the utter and sudden destruction of Egypt. Why is he saying this? Because it really happened. That's what it seems the best explanation is. Now go to Exodus 11 for just a minute. Exodus 11, 5 to 6 says... Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn of the son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well, 
There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. A pure papyrus, papyrus, what does it say? Well, actually, let me, let me read something else from Exodus before we do. Exodus 12.30, after the plague of the firstborn took place, it says, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Do you know that the Apura papyrus says several things about this? Here they are. Quote, groaning is throughout the land mingled with laments. Lo, many dead are buried in the river. The stream is the grave. The tomb became a stream. And he who puts his brother in the ground is everywhere. Indeed, every dead person is a well-born man. Those who are Egyptians have become foreigners and are thrust aside. The children of princes are dashed against walls, unquote. This appears to say that the Egyptians were the ones that experienced death. The foreigners didn't. And it seems that the Egyptians have become foreigners and are thrust aside while the foreigners flourish. This is what the pure papyrus says, ladies and gentlemen. It's not saying... This is not a Hebrew writing. This is an Egyptian writing from the second century, sorry, sorry, the second millennium BC, about the time of the Exodus. One researcher over at the Armstrong Institute by the name of Christopher Ames wrote an article on this called Plagues of Egypt Proved? Question mark. Here's what he writes in his conclusion, and you can find this at the Armstrong Institute. In fact, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, This uh, article, I think the Armstrong Institute, if I'm not mistaken, is actually based in Israel. Anyway, here's what Christopher Ames says, quote, about the Epipura papyrus. Researchers simply don't know the original dating for this document. It varies across a a span of six centuries. And the latter end of the date spectrum may indeed align with the events of the Exodus. All right, let me stop right here. I didn't actually go through all the parallels that the pure papyrus has with Exodus, just several of them. There are more, and you'll see them as I read the rest of this quote from Mr. Imes. He says, as as shown above, he says, as shown above, meaning in the first half of the article he wrote, both documents, the Epipure Papyrus and Exodus, complement each other so well. A river that became blood, pestilence, crops, livestock, buildings devastated, fire and darkness, well-born offspring dying, lame duck magicians, slaves pillaging the riches of their masters, and a shepherding people whose initial presence in the land culminated in cataclysm? How could this not refer to the same event, unquote? Yeah, let me ask you that. Just coincidence? Titus Kennedy, the archaeologist I've had on the program before, says that there's a scholar who actually did his doctrinal dissertation on the Epipure papyrus. 
I don't know this guy's name, but in any event, according to Titus, this gentleman, who's not a believer, said this about the Epipure papyrus and the Exodus. He said that the Epipure papyrus and the Exodus are not describing the same historical events because the events of the Epipure papyrus and the events of the Exodus are not historical. They never happened. Really? Then why do they say the same thing? He has no evidence they never happened. He's just asserting they've never happened. He thinks they're both fables. Are you suggesting that Moses copied from the Epipure papyrus? Why would he do that? He's a Hebrew. He's, he's the one that's supposed to be trying to follow one God, Yahweh. You think he's just inventing all this and he's taking it from an Egyptian source? And oh, by the way, if that's the case, why do the plagues all seem to be slams on Egyptian gods? Because that, that's, that's what they appear to be. They're not random play. I mean, why didn't God send snakes? Or why didn't God send roaches? Or why didn't God send a, herds of giraffes or hippopotami or whatever? Because he said that the plagues would actually be a corrective on the Egyptian gods. In fact, Exodus 12.12 says this. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of the people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. So on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Look, the Exodus was not a showdown between Moses and and Pharaoh, or if you like, Yul Brenner and Charlton Heston, or Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner, for those of you that have seen the old Ten Commandments movie from the 1950s. No, it was really a showdown between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt. And who are the gods of Egypt? And how did these plagues slam the gods of Egypt? Some of these are one-to-one -one correspondence. Others are just a, a, approximate. But why turn the Nile to blood, the water to blood? Because... Num was a god of the Egyptians, and he was a protector of the Nile. Why bring fogs? Because Heget was the frog goddess. Why bring gnats, lice from dust? Because Geb was the god of the earth and the ground. Why bring flies? Because Kepri was the god of creation and was supposed to be the god who controlled, I guess, animals. And so we're going to bring so many flies on you. In fact, Kepri had a kind of a, a beetle head. It was what we might call the bug god. So we're going to, you like bugs? We're going to bring bugs, Yahweh says. Why go after livestock? Because Hathor was the cow goddess. Why bring boils? Because Isis was the god of medicine. And apparently Isis didn't have the power to prevent the medical power to prevent boils from coming on the Egyptians because Yahweh is stronger. Why bring hail? Because Nut was the sky goddess who's supposed to be the, the god of the sky. Apparently, Nut couldn't stop Yahweh from coming through the canopy that Nut was supposed to be 
protecting the Egyptians with, the sky canopy. And so Yahweh just brings hail and fire right through the canopy. Why bring locusts? Because Osiris is the harvest god. So Yahweh is going to come and send locusts and overpower Osiris. Why darken the land? Because Ra's the sun god. The top god, some say, in Egypt. And why the death of the firstborn? Because Anubis was the god of the dead, the lord of the dead. Well, apparently he's not the real lord of the dead because Yahweh is. Yahweh has the power to kill and resurrect. Anubis doesn't. You see the point? And do you think Moses made all this up? How could he have made it all up without knowing who the gods of Egypt were? Moses knew who the god of Egypt, who were the gods of Egypt. And this also deals with the hardening of the heart. Why did Moses harden the heart? Or I should say, why did, excuse me, why did Yahweh harden the heart of Pharaoh? First of all, Pharaoh hardened his heart first, and then Yahweh completed the process. Why did he do that? Because in Egyptian theology, in order for a pharaoh to make it to the afterlife, he would have to have his heart weighed against a feather. And if his heart was lighter than a feather, in other words, he was a good pharaoh, he would be admitted to the afterlife. If his heart weighed more than a feather, in other words, it was hard, it was heavy, then he wouldn't be admitted to the afterlife and his heart would be eaten by this demon, this demon called Amit, I think his name was, A-M-M-I-T. It was a combination lion, hippopotamus, and crocodile. You can see this on the walls of Pharaoh tombs. The heart's being weighed against a feather. So when Moses relates that Yahweh is hardening Pharaoh's heart, he's essentially saying, this is a bad Pharaoh. By your own theology, he's not going to make it. Moses knows the culture of Egypt. He knows their gods. He knows their theology. And he says, Yahweh overpowers all of your gods. Yahweh is the true God. Your gods are false gods. That's why all these plagues are going to overpower the gods that you think are protecting you. They're not. And now we have evidence from Egypt itself in the pure papyrus that seems to talk about the same plagues that Exodus talks about. Coincidence? I'll let you decide. I don't think so. I think this is evidence that Exodus is telling the truth. Now, Last night, when we recorded the, the TV program for this, we got a question from somebody who apparently is an atheist um, because I saw him in the chat who claimed to be an atheist. He was saying, do you approve of God killing the firstborn? And I said, well, it doesn't matter what I approve or not. I'm not God. I'm not, I don't have the power over life or death. God does. And what might be wrong for human beings to do is not wrong for God to do. God doesn't murder people. God has the right to kill people anytime he wants. 
He can take people out for any reason, anytime he wants. He does not owe us life at all, but he is the creator of life and the resurrector of life. And so if he takes life, he can resurrect it. And if Christianity is true, people don't die. They just change location. And so any atheist who asks me the question, is it wrong for God to take life? Why do you think it's okay for God to kill the firstborn? Well, I might ask the atheist, why do you think it's wrong for God to take the firstborn? By what standard are you judging God when you say it's wrong for him to take life? If there is no God, there's not right or wrong on any issue. It's just your opinion. Only if a being like God exists, would it even be wrong to take life? Or would anything be right or wrong? So you're assuming a standard while you judge the God of the Bible. What is that standard? The only out someone would have would be to say, well, okay, I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. I just don't think, I just don't think the God of the Bible is the true God. Okay, that's, that's a fair position. You can take that position. You can say, I think there's a God who isn't the God of the Bible, and that I'm using that standard to say the God of the Bible is immoral. Fine. But now you got to deal with all the evidence that the God of the Bible is the true God. And some of the strongest evidence for that is, of course, the resurrection. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, if he predicted and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead, then he's God. And whatever he teaches is true. He taught the entire Old Testament as the word of God, and he promised the New Testament. So if Jesus truly is God, if he truly did rise from the dead to prove he's God, then it seems that the Christian God is the true God. And Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. So... God can bring judgment and can take people from this life to the next life whenever he wants. And if the Exodus account is true, and I think it is, he did that. In fact, he does it today. People die every day. It's up to God when that happens. He's the creator of life, and he can take life. In fact, I'm reminded of a, a, a question I got at the University of Central Oklahoma this had to be six, seven years ago when we were there. And uh, you can see this question on our YouTube channel. Young lady got up to the microphone and said, I can't believe in the God of the Bible because he kills people in the Old Testament. And I went through some of what I just said with this young lady, had a dialogue with her. And toward the end of our dialogue, I asked her a question. I said, hey, can I ask you a question? Where are you on the abortion issue? And she said, oh, I'm pro-choice. And I said, can I ask you another question? Why is it that when God plays God in the Old Testament and decides who lives and dies, he's immoral? But when you play God now with regard to abortion and decide who lives and dies, somehow that's a moral right for you. Can you explain that to me? Can you justify that for me? Why God does not have the power over life and death, but you do? She couldn't really answer because there is no answer. God is the standard, and God has the ultimate power over life and death. Not us. So if he wants to bring judgment, he can do so. In fact, it might be a better question to ask, why hasn't God killed me already if he's infinitely just? Answer, because he's also infinitely loving. And he also came into this world and sacrificed himself in human form so we could be reconciled to him. 
and he's long-suffering. He's patient. He wants to bring as many people into the kingdom as possible. But even an omnipotent God cannot force free creatures to do what he wants. Otherwise, they wouldn't be free. So he gives us the ability to reject him. Question is, what have you done? Are you still rejecting him? Especially when you look at evidence, piece of evidence after piece of evidence that even suggest, suggests that the exodus is true. And I just, I'm just dealing with a little bit of the evidence that the exodus is true. In the TV program, we're going into a lot more. And if you want to hear a lot more, what you need to do is get the cross-examined app. Because on March 7th, 2020, I had Titus Kennedy and Stephen Meyer on to talk about some of these issues and we talk about the top 10 reasons, or I should say the top lines of evidence from Egypt that the exodus occurred. You want to listen to that podcast, but you can't get it on iTunes. It's too old. You've got to download the cross-examined app, go into the podcast section, and search for Titus Kennedy. You will find it. You can download it and listen to it. So check that out. You can also go to our YouTube channel because we did a live stream with Titus and uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer on uh, the same uh, the same topic, so you can watch that as well. All right, friends, it's great being with you today. Don't forget about the events coming up out in uh, Pennsylvania on April 30th, and then University of New Hampshire on May 3rd, and then out at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. By the way, if you want to get a ticket to the Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills event, the Unshaken Conference, go to unshakenconference.com. You can see it there. Uh, also want to point out the next time that we'll be filming uh, an archaeology program that you can see, it's not going to be archived, it's only going to be on YouTube live, is, let's see, let me get the exact date. It's going to be April, stand by, stand by, I got my calendar here. It's going to be, no, it's not going to be April. It's going to be May 1st, 7.30 p.m. Uh, check it out. We're going to be talking about evidence for the exodus. So far, we've just given you evidence for the plagues. On that TV program, we're going to be giving you evidence for the exodus that they actually left Egypt and went back to, get to what we now know that we now know as Israel. So check all that out, and I hope to see you here next week on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. God bless.